0: Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat.
1: I'm Jan Moffat. And the second
0: song is "Squares" by the Beta Band. Wait, what? Hello, welcome to Clockworks. A uh, goodbye. Wait,
1: what, Paul?
0: I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I what? time is wrong
1: <laughs>
0: we, uh, we we talked about this bit ahead of time <laughs> but we never clarified how to end it <laughs> we're talking this week about we're talking this week about episode 4 of season 3 of legion we've titled this episode can't get there from here this is chapter 23 of Legion. This episode of Legion was directed by Daniel Kwan and written by Olivia Dufault and Charles Yu. Daniel Kwan has directed a whole bunch of shorts, but he is best known for the feature movie Swiss Army Man, starring Daniel Radcliffe, which he also wrote. He, Daniel Kwan, also wrote. Um, Swiss Army Man, are you familiar with it at all? Not even a little bit. It was like Sundance award-winning... movie but it's uh kind of fitting for legion in that it's very surreal it's about a guy who's stranded on an island and a corpse washes up and then he over the course of the movie the corpse learns to talk the corpse is daniel radcliffe the corpse learns to talk and he uses it to like as a motorboat and he uses it as a source of water and it's like it's a swiss army man and it's very surreal
1: that does sound very surreal
0: uh olivia DuFault. Who co-wrote this episode, co-wrote Chapter 21, Charlie Brown. And Charles Yu has been story editor and writer for a few TV series. The one I know best is Westworld, where he was a story editor for six episodes in Season 1, and he wrote one episode in Season 1. Cool. Would you like to please take us through the beat-by-beat for this episode?
1: I would. This episode, just going to say it right off the bat, was a bit difficult to do a beat-by-beat, because of all the weirdness
0: i'm paul moffat i'm jan moffat and this is chapter 23 of clockworks a legion podcast
1: Patonomy has his mustache trimmed and talks to carrie he chokes and everyone glitches then he says all is lost carrie glitches all over the plane talking to sid about something being wrong with time An apple rots on Sid's desk. A notebook flips open to reveal the Legion logo. At the Commune house, people are playing hopscotch. Lenny and Salmon sit on the lawn discussing the baby and choose a name for it. Lenny talks about leaving the Commune. David and Switch appear in a door from the sky, Switch bleeding and David saying they have to go back. This repeats three times before Switch yells stop. Back on the plane... Ptonomy says that something has affected time. On the screen, he shows a pair of blue glowing eyes in a room. Sid says that this is how David destroys the world. This scene repeats, and a hand comes out of the screen. Time freezes, and Farouk approaches, cutting off the hand. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Paul Moffat. So, at the beginning... (laughs) How many times are we going to do that? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, mean, I think that's it. That's that's We're done now, <laughs> guys.
0: Sorry. So at the beginning of this scene, uh, Carrie is talking to Podonomy about how everything is different now. hmm And I feel like, as we've often noticed in this season, this is a meta-commentary on the show. Yeah, yeah. Everything is so different. Everyone is so different.
1: Carrie's like, we're all adults now, which is kind of true.
0: That, like, in the first season, the tone of the show and everyone's... Like, they were adults, but it was like a coming-of-age season. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: And it's not anymore. No. And Patonomy, when he glitches, what he says is narrative-compromised. Hmm. Which is, like, again, igno... I mean, the, the language that he uses is acknowledging that the that this is a narrative. This is a story, and the story is not going the way it's supposed to go. Yeah. And then we have an episode where the narrative isn't linear and doesn't follow what we expect from the beats of narrative. mm mm-hmm. I mean, and that's kind of this season, and it's kind of this entire show, but, but specifically this episode.
1: Mm-hmm. The Legion logo this time mm. was the like, flip, flip, flip of a notebook. And the last thing of it is Switch sitting under a tree. She's got her headphones. And the tree has a cat sitting in it. So there's a Cheshire cat again. Well, and then
0: it's a very grinny cat, which by the end of the episode, like Switch says that, uh, oh, I didn't think of it as the Cheshire cat. Because Witch says that the time demons are like cats, mm-hmm. and they give, have these great big smiles. Yeah. They're like Cheshire cats. I didn't think of it actually making that connection. Mm-hmm. That's a good thought. Huh. Um, I love that that uh, sequence for the title, by the way.
1: Yes, absolutely. The the sequences for the title of this season are just spot on.
0: When Carrie is missing time, and she suddenly is in Sid's room... And she sees, like, they talk about what's wrong with time? You think something's wrong with time? And there's the apple in the front, in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone on Twitter, Mel, at Mel Gazoant, pointed out that this uh, might be a shout-out to Russian Doll. Because hmm. there's a Russian Doll in the foreground next to a piece of fruit that is rotting. And, of course, in Russian Doll, rotten fruit, rotting fruit was a motif through the whole season of all like the fruit in the grocery stores and the fruit in people's fridges were rotting because the universe was melting because time wasn't working the way it was supposed to on that show. Right. And so rotting fruit is, I mean, it's a pretty,
1: I don't know if it would be specifically a shout out to Russian doll simply because I think this was filmed and conceived of before Russian doll came out. But I think that they have something in common And they have, and what you're, I think, about to say, which is rotting fruit is, like, how you show time
0: being weird. Like, it's a common aspect of the visual language of time moving strangely, because we recognize rotten fruit as the passage of time. But with just the fact that there's a Russian doll. Yeah. (laughs) Of all, maybe it's a coincidence, but... I thought that was quite a striking coincidence. If it is one,
1: mm-hmm. and I mean, let's not forget, rotting fruit has been around since season one. We had the bugs crawling out of the cherries. I mean, the strawberries. Yes. In season one, so this isn't a new thing we're seeing.
0: And the bugs in the hmm, and the bugs in the strawberries in season one was like a sign of moral rot, a sign that Farouk was in their little magic white room. Mm-hmm. So, is this rotten fruit is a sign of time passing? But is it also
1: yeah, possibly a sign of corruption, and
0: hmm.
1: yeah, it's definitely nefarious.
0: When Lenny and Salmon are sitting outside uh, talking about, I, first of all, just really love this sequence also, mm-hmm. talking about their baby, and like, well, we're girls, and when girls get together, they have a girl. That's yeah. science. <laughs> That's
1: Science right there.
0: <laughs> um, and Lenny says, another fish name? And Salmon says, Salmon's not a fish. It's a color. And like... She comes in colors. She comes in colors. I just think that Salmon being not a fish, it's a color is... Another major example of things aren't what they seem to be.
1: Mm -hmm, We make an
0: assumption. We act on that assumption. We are pretty sure we understand the world. We are pretty sure we understand what things mean. It's like their yellow bus that's a red bus. Yeah. It's salmon, the orange fish. Yeah. Uh, No, but it's not a fish. It's a color. Salmon is a color. Mm -hmm. And their daughter, she wants to name Violet. And uh, Lenny suggests violence. Instead, I agree with Letty. violence, lollipop, busker, that is a name with a ring to it. <laughs> um, but speaking of colors, I have another Twitter thing. Listener Matt Williams, at MWMS underscore pokey, says, It's a rainbow, rojibiv uh, in this season, in this show, maybe he didn't actually specify, uh... And he says... Red is madness. Mad as in anger or as in insanity. Orange is happiness and sunshine. Yellow is fear and villainy. Green is empathy and heroism. Blue is love, sex, romance, family. Indigo is Lenny. Somewhere in between blue and violet. And Mm. violet is pain. Mm. And we have, like, violet violence. Yeah. So in between violence and sex... Lenny is this indigo in between. Hmm. Thoughts?
1: I like it a lot. I really like that interpretation. I read that on Twitter and was like, ooh, that's interesting. Um, To equate Violet with pain, especially for this episode in particular, really rings true. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I agree with the yellow slash orange being happiness necessarily. Yeah, me neither. Because that's... Color is on David a lot of the time, and I would not call him happy. No. But I think other parts of those definitely ring true.
0: Yeah, and I agree. I might um, interpret what the colors mean a little differently, but I think he's definitely onto something that colors have emotional resonance for Mm -hmm. the show, and like we are color coding the feelings.
1: Yeah. And it's why switch stands out so much because she is wearing all these different colors. She's really like, she really stands out as something different, completely different than anything we've seen. I mean, I said that a couple episodes ago, but I really continue to stand by it, which is switch. It does not quite fit in this world. Yep. In this time.
0: Mm Hmm. I really like just before we move on from the colors and Matt's, uh, theory of the color meanings i'm very very uh compelled by blue for sex violet for pain indigo is lenny in between mm-hmm. uh but it's tr- troubled by like the time demons are blue
1: yeah blue is is maybe more calmness or relaxation or like um being out of your mind maybe almost
0: but like red ne- red is a color of madness but blue is also yeah, a color of madness also... and like why is blue it's always blue mm-hmm. blue is like halluc- yeah lenny is all in more blue than indigo when she's the mad hatter mhm and like the vermilion's collars are blue yeah and they maybe it's another kind of madness
1: yeah there's a lot of glowing blue yeah neon blue maybe signifies
0: something different
1: yeah and as and i mean to say this as we always say or maybe we don't always say but like all these interpretations are valid like there's not one interpretation of this show that is like oh this is the right one this is just all of our thoughts and so i think that his thoughts are totally interesting and cool
0: Yeah, and maybe it's worth repeating this. We've definitely said this in season one. I think we said it in season two, but we haven't said it in season three yet. That not only is it the nature of art that different interpretations are valid, specifically one of the reasons that surrealism is both off-putting and compelling is that it is deliberately avoids a... uh, closing down interpretations there are some modes of art where different interpretations are valid but they're trying to the creator is trying to set forward a particular interpretation and we can accept or reject it in surrealism the creator is deliberately trying to stop you from arriving at a solid interpretation mm-hmm. and so surrealism more than other uh modes of art resists a final interpretation which is why it's so fun to pick it apart.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: So let's talk about this time loop when
1: David and Switch appear. Okay. I just want to point out something that multiple watchings made me notice, which is uh it feels like every loop is the same, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. The people in the background specifically are not ever the same. Sometimes they're moving, and the last one, they're frozen. They're not the same people hopping on the hopscotch every time.
0: What I noticed uh, on my second watch, and I should say, I only knew to pay attention to this because you told me to, those background people in that scene, but I noticed them moving forward the first time, backward the second time, and stopped the third time.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't notice that detail
0: which is maybe about the flow of time mm-hmm. outside the little loop. Yeah. Like it's backing up out there and then it stopped out there.
1: Mm-hmm. Sid's whole time loop on the plane. Is that, is that about, is that, is this really how David ends the world? Is this really an epiphany or is this just Sid's guests? Is this, I just like, I think it feels significant.
0: I mean, I think by the end of the episode, uh I no longer think she's right that that I don't think the time demons are how David ends the world, but I do think that David playing with time is how he, he ends the world. Ooh. Or is the danger that Sid recognizes. That yeah. if Sid the time demons specifically know, because I may be, I mean maybe prove me wrong, but my guess is that we've dealt with them. Yeah. They're like David uh, has power over them, and he solves that problem by the end of this episode. I don't expect the time demons to come up again.
1: I think they might.
0: Well, I'm, we're both on record and we'll see who's right.
1: Yeah, he doesn't banish them entirely.
0: He says, uh, I mean, we're skipping way to the end of the episode, but he says, tell all your friends, this is my time, if you come back, I'll kill all of you, after he has shown that he can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Maybe they would come back and he would kill all of
0: them. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe that will happen.
1: The last thing I want to say about this little chunk is the people who are hopscotching outside the commune. The hopscotch is like in the 300s, which either implies that it's really, really long, or they're just like starting in the hundreds. And they're saying this little rhyme out loud, Mm -hmm. part of which goes nine, ten, pig in a pen, and I'm like, that's inside the house. There's a pig in a pen.
0: <laughs> and it's like I didn't write down all the things, but mm-hmm. it was like one seven eight. Don't be late. So it's about time again. Yeah. I I didn't write down all of their rhyme, but I thought that all the parts of their rhyme were alluding to parts of the plot. I don't think that there's like a a deep profound meaning, but yeah. I thought all parts of their l- rhyme were alluding to parts of the plot of this season. Agreed one, one last little thing not to, when you were talking about on the plane, it just made me want to say that effect of the time demon reaching his hand out of the screen. Yeah, that's super creepy. Oh man. And then fruit cuts it off. Like that moment, I don't have deep things to pull out of it. Just like that was really well done mm-hmm. and very effective at being unnerving.
1: Yeah. Anything coming through a screen into reality is very unnerving.
0: And maybe I said I didn't have anything to dig into it, but maybe I do, because this whole season is all about how this is, or not is all about, but keeps reminding us that this is TV, this is uh, fiction, you're watching it through the screen, and then one of the reasons why something coming through a screen is unnerving is because we're watching that happen through a screen, and we don't believe that the time demon's going to reach out through our screen, but it kind of... Blurring the line between what you watch and what is real is unsettling. Mm
1: -hmm, mm
0: -hmm. And that's kind of thematically what this episode, what this season is doing, and also what it's uh, lampshading. Yeah. So the line between fiction and reality is something that this show has been interested in exploring, and the demons coming out of the screen into the real world, but it's not the real world because it's still the world of the show but also the things that we see in a tv show we've started this couple of first couple of episodes of this show saying this is just a tv show don't take it too seriously time to sleep uh it's bedtime this is a test pattern please stand by but then here we're saying uh just because you're seeing it on your screen doesn't mean it doesn't affect you in real life
1: yeah it's a really good call that's like exactly yeah freaky. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Um, in his cave, David meditates and sees visions of Gabrielle, and Lenny interrupts him, saying they're ready. In the commune, David talks to his people, telling them he had a bad day. Lenny is not quite under his influence. He asks Switch to explain what happened, and she says they're time demons. David makes his people feel good, all except Lenny, who resists and asks after his plan. The room goes dark and then light again. David turns to determined, saying he's going to fix it, saying it's his time. He calls on Switch, who is losing teeth. David wants to go back. The lights go out again, and David says he eats monsters for breakfast. Switch says they're here, and a blue-eyed monster ticks around the room. They attack David, and he wakes up in a cell to a woman humming. It is Gabrielle, and this appears to be a concentration camp.
0: So, David calls his followers Snoopies, Sigmunds, Howdy Dooties. Hello, my Snoopies, my Sigmunds, my Howdy Dooties. So, (laughs) we've already had established David as Charlie Brown. And we've seen Mm -hmm. more than, like, in that one episode specifically, but it it keeps coming up. Yeah. That David is Charlie Brown. Yeah. And, I mean, we've seen past this episode, and I can say it's going to continue to come up. I'm not going to say when and where and why, but... So him calling them his Snoopies is like, they're his... They're, the ways to read it are, like, very affectionate. They're his best friend, his companion, his one good, you know, thing in his life. Also, they're, like, dogs to him. Yeah. He's human, and they are dogs. Yes, Exactly. Uh, Howdy Doody is a puppet. hmm So him calling them his Howdy duties is saying that they are his puppets. Yep. And Sigmund... The first place I want to go with Sigmund is Sigmund Freud. But on second thought... Earlier this season, uh, we had a reference to the story of Siegfried uh, fighting the dragon in the music when... Uh, Sid was talking to Farouk and planning how they would attack in the first episode of the season. Siegfried is a character in Norse Norse mythology. Uh, David has been compared to Siegfried in previous seasons, especially in the music. We've had other music when David was fighting monsters of, like, Siegfried and the dragon. Hmm. Sigmund is Siegfried's father's name, but it is also Siegfried's son's name. So they call him Daddy, and if he's calling them his Sigmunds, that might mean he's calling them his children. Hmm. He's the dragon-fighting hero, and they're his children. And I actually think that makes more sense to me than Sigmund Freud.
1: Yeah, I wasn't seeing any Freud... No. In this, like, that wouldn't really make
0: sense. Like, there is a Freudian I reading mean, of this whole show, but him calling is... them Freud doesn't make any sense to me.
1: The only thing I can think of of them being Freud is he needs therapy, and they're his therapists, except that they're really not. Because they're his puppets, they're his, his dog. It make, in that context, it makes more sense for them to be his children.
0: I mean, and maybe they're his therapist in the sense that, like, he lays everything out to them he he unburdens himself on them
1: i feel like someone somewhere is yelling at their podcast being like guys sigmund is this so i'm gonna leave that this open for like <laughs> someone come and tweet us and be like guys sigmund you're missing this huge person in like
0: no i'm pretty sure it's north it's uh, from the icelandic sagas okay
1: the Valsund- saga
0: the valsanga saga and the poetic edda and the prose edda and sounds good the source material for wagner's ring cycle
1: so this whole meeting i realized what it, i've been comparing it to uh david's demeanor of him going back and forth between like i'm friendly i'm nice i'm not so nice mm-hmm. uh it reminds me of buffy <laughs> <laughs> there's an episode where willow goes from like don't mess with me to let's just get along And she turns on a dime, and that's suddenly, like, I realize that, oh, that's what I'm hearing when I hear him do this. Right. Is he just, like, he keeps turning on a dime from from kind of sweet, innocent David to manipulative, I'll make you do it, David. And he's to switch in this... He's trying to convince her, and he's trying he's like, "It's fine, it'll be all right, and then it's like, "Don't make me force you."
0: Yeah. do he's, I have to force do you? Do
1: I have to force you?" And she's like, "What did you say?"
0: And then they get distracted and then they
1: get distracted. so it's just like he's... yeah, he's just like like an abusive husband, like an abusive person where he keeps putting on the nice face. And then it slips. His mask slips. Yeah. Or maybe it's the other way around. It's hard to say.
0: <laughs> There's that thought of Willow, and I am i know what moment you're talking about when she's talking to Giles. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We need to go more into it than that. I think that's a really good comparison to make because I hadn't seen that, but that's exactly that sudden shift Makes you wonder which one is the real persona, except that you know in real life, uh, if you are honest with yourself, when you suddenly reveal anger, it's because the anger was there all along, not because the nice face is suddenly lo- like, "Yeah, I know this isn't only me. Mm-hmm. When you suddenly snap at someone, it's because you were holding that back or in, even if you weren't aware of it.
1: Yes, that's a good point. Yep.
0: The line when... Lenny starts arguing with him, and he says, watch your tone, Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: he calms down again and says, I need you to be nice, or I can't be nice. Yeah. I'm like, "Geez, Louise, is that abuser talk? Yeah, that's
1: exactly abuser talk. I had that line written down as well.
0: I need you to be nice, or I can't be nice. Or I can't be nice. Mm Mm-hmm. So if I end up lashing out at you, it'll be your fault because you provoked me. Exactly. And you know how I get. Yep. Right? Like, it's a textbook abuser speech. Mm -hmm.
1: And I think they're doing that, the writer is doing that on purpose because they want you to think of David like that, like an abuser. Yeah, for sure. Like, they're not putting these words in his mouth by accident.
0: No. And I would add that to like his status as a cult leader is resonates with that very well and specifically that they call him daddy mm-hmm. is like is this a cult yes they call him daddy he's an abusive daddy he we know has daddy issues he says uh i hate daddy issues as a phrase but since they say daddy that what put it in my head but he says like I'll protect you, I'll keep you safe from a monster. That's what daddies do. But we know from the last episode and from our whole experience with him, that's what his father didn't do.
1: Yeah. Both his real father and his adopted father didn't seem to protect him
0: from monsters. And he says a little later in this scene, I think... In this recap section, not this scene. To Gabrielle, it's not her fault, but she can protect him. But we see moments through the whole season where he feels like it is his parents fault and so he sets himself up as the father figure that he didn't have but he's also his idea of what that's supposed to be is warped
1: Mm -hmm. he also okay so he goes on this big like rant about how it's his time it's david's time and then he goes i am the alpha and the omega Yep. Which if you're not up on your Bible, that's what God calls himself. Yep. That's classic, like, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end.
0: And that's, like, through season two and season three now, there are little moments where uh, Farouk calls himself God or calls David God or says, you know, gods don't have to listen. Gods don't have to listen to the rules. They make the rules. That was a thing in season two. Yep. And David is really embraced. David has really embraced at this point. Yeah, I am God.
1: Yeah, exactly. He's not daddy. He's God to these people and to the world, according to him. Yeah. Is there something to be said for... uh, To go back to colors a little bit. Um, Is there something to be said for these blue-eyed demons? And David has very striking blue eyes.
0: Hmm. The blue eyes specifically. The blue eyes know.
1: specifically. Behind blue eyes was, you know, the I end mean, of
0: season one, and they textually drew our attention to the to David's blue eyes. Exactly. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. That's just something to think about. The blue. Fl- I think that they are more if they're connected to blue. It's the blue flowers and the blue.
1: Yeah. Drugs and everything. Except what
0: they actually um. What they strike me most as a visual allusion to is uh, the blue meanies from Yellow Submarine.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And if they they look just like their faces look just like the blue meanies. Oh,
1: that's true. That's true. I didn't even think of that. They've got the big smiles smiles and and the the, like prominent.
0: Yeah. And then that made me think that the airship actually is not dissimilar from the yellow submarine. Hmm. Except that it's zebra striped. Except the zebra stripe. But like the shape of it is not that different from the yellow submarine.
1: Yeah, good and the, the font that they're using too. Yeah. Is a yellow submarine font. It is. Huh, this is heavily influenced by yellow submarine. That's yep. so interesting. I did not <laughs> notice that until now. <laughs> the our next scene is is quite short. Um it's the shield. With Michael Chiklis. He is uh, interrogating a guy, and then he beats him up.
0: Yes, that is a clip from the pilot of the 2002 series, The Shield. Uh, Michael Chiklis's character is interrogating someone. In the show, the guy he's interrogating is a pedophile who bought a kid online, and Michael Chiklis's character is trying to find her, which he does by the end of the episode. So the specifically, like... What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Like I the the specifics of why he's interrogating that person like if there is a human criminal that we are most likely to call a monster mm-hmm. it would be a pedophile
1: yeah
0: uh so specifically like he's interrogating a monster uh and it is a scene of, like, the normal restrictions against, uh, the more normal restrictions of the law don't need to apply when you are fighting a monster.
1: Right. Is what's okay. happening
0: in that episode of The Shield. hmm And that feels like both what David and what Sid, like, how they're each justifying their approach to the other. Not how David is approaching Sid, but how David is approaching Farouk. And as Sid is approaching David, is both with this, like, there are rules of engagement, there's, like, how you're supposed to, law, and uh, none of that applies when you're fighting a monster. None of that applies when the stakes get high enough, is the point of this interrogation scene, and is also the subtext of all the heroics, I mean, of always. Yeah. Like, superhero logic. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Also, WTF, mate? Like, <laughs> also, <of> WTF. <laughs> it's just in the middle of the episode. But I think if you were watching this on TV, it might be a little more... Like, because we always watch it on iTunes. So if you're watching this on TV and it came back from commercial to a show that used to be on FX but went... but hasn't been for a long time, it puts you in the, in the seat of the viewer of the, of the people within Legion having time loop back on itself. Right. And I'm not saying that out of nowhere. I did read that. So that is why he, that's the explanation that Noah Hawley has given as to why he included this random scene because everyone was like, what?
0: (laughs) Because you, the viewer feel like time is, it's just like our, uh, bit. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. That is,
1: uh... You don't need to repeat it all again, but the whole thing you were saying about this being a TV show, knowing it's a TV show, and then being intrusively like, yeah, you are a part of this, this whole loop thing is going on with you too, is what this little you know, 30 second less scene is all about.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: So on the plane, Farouk explains that the time demons are like termites. They must go to the the time between time to destroy them. Carrie wants violence and Farouk makes them all disappear. Sid follows a shadow into her room and finds a child version of herself. Sid pours, pours a drink for herself and herself, and they talk about her first drink. Just sort that out in your own head. Sid thinks that time is collapsing. Back in the commune, Carrie works in the lab. Time jumps several times as he works, and he realizes that he's been working under David's influence. He walks the empty halls, and the demons click unseen around him. He finds Switch, who tells him the demons eat time. Carrie tries to rescue Switch, assuming she's been under David's influence. They exit to find people frozen in time. Switch remembers the tunnel, and they crawl through it.
0: Oh, man. (laughs) So, Sid meets herself from the past.
1: Yeah. It was the same actress who played her in the past in the last season.
0: Yeah. So we recognize this girl. (laughs) That's a nice touch. We know immediately... I mean, like, did you know before she even turned around?
1: Mm, yes, I feel like I did. I of the hat.
0: Yeah, it's hard to know what you knew, but yeah. I feel like I did. Um, and, like, what is the... Uh, I don't know. What is going on? Because that's not the same thing as the demon's eating time. They displace her in time. It makes me
1: Well, it's the same thing, like, David has been sent to nineteen forties Germany or whatever. And that... Sid has been sent her past self.
0: Like we'll get more to them, but just things are the 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 time demons seem not just to eat time in the sense of they make sections of time disappear but they're like displacing things in time and people in time
1: yeah exactly
0: when carrie uh is in the lab and they okay (laughs) a couple of things but let let me start with what's the the blue pile on the like is that time demon poop
1: Yeah, I guess so. That's, I mean, I didn't think of it as time to even poop, but it was definitely something the time Leavon's left behind. Because there, he like goes and tries to investigate it. And it's just like slime. I mean, honestly, as a parent of a 10 and 8 year old, slime like that is just all over my house because kids love (laughs) slime these days.
0: (laughs) But it's like a pile of steaming leavings. From the time you? Yeah, okay, it's slime poop. (laughs) And then when he touches it is when he kind of remembers things. Right? Sort of. He's been remembering things all along
1: as time has been jumping ahead. And then he goes and investigates that and then remembers. So I don't know if it's actually connected or just...
0: It's when he touches it and then he says, Treachery. Treachery. And that, by the way, is a repeat of a Carrie line from chapter 19 uh the last episode of season two Mm -hmm. behind blue eyes where he when he figures out that day i mean when he figures out that david has been uh less than forthcoming it's treachery yeah and then now again even more uh i think the situation is even stronger but he's maybe less less betrayed but anyway it's a callback
1: it's a callback. Yep, it's what Carrie said. I mean, Carrie is, I think, fundamentally good. He's trying to be good, and yet he just keeps getting himself into these situations, and so he's surprised when other people aren't. Yeah. don't
0: have others' best others' best interest at heart. Carrie is just too good for this world. He is. I love
1: Carrie so much.
0: You you talked. Do you want to say your uh, theory of D and D alignment? Or no?
1: Oh yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking about, Carrie and Carry, and I think that male Carry is well. I think that female Carry is chaotic neutral, and male Carry is chaotic good, but he tends towards chaotic neutral when he's like under the influence of David. That mm-hmm. he just wants to make the tech. He really likes the tech, and he doesn't really care. Who gets it.
0: Except that he
1: he kind of wants things to be good.
0: And the idea of him being chaotic good, I think, really uh, plays to him being so betrayed by treachery.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because he would
0: never betray anyone.
1: Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, together, Carrie and Carrie are in that chaotic good, chaotic neutral zone together. And they kind of go back and forth between which is which.
0: Yeah. So then Carrie wanders out, and he finds Switch. Uh, she's holding a giant toothbrush. Oh, it's toothpaste. The... The...
1: <laughs> <laughs> the slime. It's, it's Gross. Just... No, it's
0: not. I'm just taking dumb.
1: Why the giant toothbrush, though?
0: Okay, she she's holding a giant toothbrush.
1: Yeah. Why?
0: Why? This seems to me to confirm your theory that... Uh, they're all tiny they're tiny this is a dollhouse they're tiny the sow is big the sow is regular sized they're all small mm-hmm. that is a regular sized toothbrush
1: yeah i mean it's not literal because it's psychedelic but like it's representative of them being dollhouse playthings
0: i mean it might be literal i don't it think might... so.
1: this doesn't really there's no logic in it if it's literal
0: yeah But it symbolizes them being little playthings, David's little playthings. Yeah. It's also maybe the pig's toothbrush because the pig is giant.
1: (laughs) Do you brush a pig's teeth? They have very human-like teeth. So if one was your pet, you might brush its teeth. I don't know. I've never owned a pig. Huh. Let us know. Pig owners out there, let us know.
0: The tunnel is real? (laughs) Maybe? (laughs) I thought that tunnel was, like, symbolic or something. (laughs) But, like, oh, we can get back by the tunnel, which is still there, despite the fact that the house isn't where it used to be. Oh, yeah. Actually, I really love it. It makes no sense, but I really love, like, we can get back, we can escape by the tunnel strikes me as one of these moments of, like... Not quite, but it's almost as cartoony as like, oh, over here in panel four, and they like step over to panel four where they didn't have this problem, like on a- Yeah, on a comic. A a comics page. Mm -hmm. It's not quite that, but it's like, this trippy thing that we did previously that you thought was just a trippy effect, it still exists, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) you know? exactly, exactly.
1: David is in a cell- and tries to use his power, but fails. He talks to Gabrielle, and she tells him that she's a gypsy. David says he wants to fix this, but Gabrielle is skeptical, and David tells her about her future. She tells him that she's crazy too, and David begs her to save his life. Behind him, others appear, and Gabrielle's smile gets bigger. David realizes that it's all lies and collapses the world. In a blank black space, he finds the time demons and tries repeatedly to walk towards them. In the time-between-time space, which exists only in photographs, Mm -hmm. we see Clark, Farouk, and Carrie walk there, finding an animal carcass, a camp, and a mailbox-shaped house. Carrie and Switch emerge from the tunnel and seal themselves in a phone booth. Carrie calls Potonomy and reboots the system, bringing them back to the plane. Switch says they're losing time, and Carrie wants to know if the demons are sentient beings. Potonomy begins to calculate, but it will take three years.
0: (laughs) So... Why don't David's powers work in the past? Is it because he's not really there, and it, this is all an illusion by the time demons? And he's this he, isn't the past.
1: Yeah, I think so. This is like it reminds me of like mental clockworks in season one, that he wasn't using his powers there, but like his powers weren't really a thing because he wasn't really there.
0: And this is like something that I thought about bringing up when we first saw Sid from the past but I decided to bring it up now instead, is I kind of alluded to it then. The time demon's powers seem to be more than just manipulating time. Mm -hmm. Because they create a fake, a illusion of the past. They haven't actually brought David into the past. No, no, I don't think so. And so is... And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I think at this point I need to to talk about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is past Sid real, or is she also a time demon illusion? Because the interaction you haven't gotten to it yet, but the interaction ends with suddenly a time demon is holding Sid down,
1: mm-hmm.
0: holding present Sid down.
1: Yeah, I think none of it is
0: real. So she doesn't actually talk to past Sid at all. No, and David doesn't talk to D- his mother. David at doesn't all. talk
1: to his mother at all.
0: Hmm. The.
1: But I think it doesn't make it any less true. No. I think this is all true. What he's, she's telling her because it's, the time demons are able to kind of fold time and manipulate time.
0: One of the things, like. They have a conversation, and Gabrielle says. Uh, when he asks Gabrielle whether she has brothers, sisters, parents, grandparents. She says, "It doesn't matter now. We are all going to be erased." Mm-hmm. And he says, "It matters to me. It's my history." And the idea of we're all going to be erased pulls together this like that's what David's plan is. Yeah, to erase people, to erase a timeline, mm-hmm. and specifically like the path he justifies to himself. In that conversation uh, two episodes ago with Sid, Charlie Brown, the the episode written also by Olivia Default, he says, like, all the stuff that I did, I'm going to just erase it. Mm -hmm. And it's a way that he can justify doing things, doing immoral things, because he's going to erase it. And so the things that he does don't matter, because they're just going to be erased. And then... We see that put in a different context in a, in the context of Gabrielle talking about
1: the Holocaust, the
0: Holocaust and our history and our, we don't matter because power, political power now, not uh, supernatural power, but power can erase us from memory by killing us and destroying records, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And
0: this is this idea of, from the very first episode, or the first episode of the season, that uh, time is a state of mind. The past is a state of mind. It's like this 1984 idea that uh, if you're powerful enough to erase all the records and kill all the people who have memory, then do those things, did that, did those things in the past happen at all? Mm-hmm. Uh The idea that, uh, like, what the Nazis and the Holocaust did and what uh, cultural genocide, we have a word for it when people in power erase not only, like, not only kill humans, but erase their history or try to. And that is, puts what David wants to do by changing the past, I think, in a completely different light.
1: And even in this moment, he's, she's saying, you know, are you going to raise the dead? Are you going to make, you know, things go back or whatever? And he's like, oh, not like this thing. I'm not going to make like World War II not happen. I'm going to make my thing not happen. Like he's just so completely selfish. selfish. And so uh, he can't make Gabrielle be better because that won't make him be born. Yeah. So he just has no sense, no, like, insight into anyone but himself.
0: Except I feel like that's a moment of... That is a moment of insight about himself. He articulates that it's selfishness. Yeah. And when he was talking to Sid in their conversation in Charlie Brown, he was like, I'm going to change things. And even when he talks to Switch at first, he's like, it's not about the girl, it's about the world. Hmm. And he talks to Sid, and he's like, I'm going to go back and make things better, not just for us, but for everyone. And then here, talking to Gabrielle, he says, it's not about the world, it's about me. He realizes, I mean, it, he doesn't take the next step of, so maybe I should change that to yeah. my perspective. But he's not lying to her, or himself, in this moment. And he has been lying to Switch and himself and... Sid, and claiming that he was going to change the world to help everybody. And when she kind of, when Gabrielle kind of uh, calls him on that, it forces him to realize for himself this isn't about the world, it's just about me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One last little bit about the history though is she says it doesn't matter, we're all going to be erased and all the things I said about that But then David says, it matters to me. It's my history.
1: Right, yeah.
0: And that's, like, what Sid said in that conversation back in Charlie Brown, that, like, even if you change all that stuff, you'll still be the person who did it. Yeah, I just won't know. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've been on Twitter, uh, talking a lot lately, uh, mostly tongue-in-cheek, uh, about whether time is real. But this is, like, one of the central kind of uh, sticking points of this episode, of this season, is, like, if you go back and change the past, did you actually change the past? You just changed what people know happened. Mm-hmm. But it, like, if the Nazis kill everyone and erase all the the records, it still matters to David because it's his history and it still happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And here David is arguing the opposite point and it's another, it's an opportunity for him to realize that like, if you expand a little bit who matters beyond just yourself and you realize that other people have histories that matter to them. Mm Mm-hmm then you can realize that going back and changing the past doesn't make things better.
1: No. So if time doesn't exist, what about the time in between time that's all just photographs?
0: First of all, I absolutely love it. (laughs) (laughs) I read a little review of this episode that was like, I rolled my eyes at that part and Legion is too self-indulgent. And I was like, no, Legion is exactly (laughs) self-indulgent enough. (laughs) I think it's totally a fair... Uh, observation that Legion the show is quite self-indulgent. Yes. I love it, though. Yeah, and and this it's is kind of what we talked... When we interviewed Denny Gordon, who directed episode seven, the picture she painted was of, like, a fa- fairly self-indulgent show where, like, mm-hmm. you have an idea and Noah Hawley says, run with it, do it. Uh, I think that leads to amazing things. hmm
1: I think uh, we've had silent movie stuff before and i feel like this is an extension of that is this is like a silent movie they're they're talking in like written words on top of the screen is the talking they're it it just feels like if this were like a movie in the 20s where it was just like really jerky movements to like just a little bit more turned up you know it's
0: almost just like that yeah, I think it's definitely a a different kind of silent film mm-hmm. sequence. I I really, really like it a lot.
1: It also, though, feels like a tiny world. The The carcass and the tent, not so much, but then they go to this mailbox house. And I mean, we haven't gotten there in the narrative, but like, it's all full of giant mail and stamps and things that are the same size as them. Yeah. And so... It's once again like they're teeny tiny people or everything is big or something. But that is a theme this this season
0: or a motif. Yeah. 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 I was going to talk about that when we got to it. But
1: yep. Carrie is in a red phone booth again.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> you didn't think of that? I didn't. But yeah. That's... So this is like Carrie's goes into a red phone booth just like he did in season one. And calls up Potonomy, who gets an error message, and he has to reboot the system. <laughs> and it's like, he's requesting extraction. Yeah. And the way in which they get extracted turns out to be they're just like, foom, and they're on the plane? Yeah. Is that because the system got rebooted, or was that the extraction they wanted all along?
0: I think that's because the time demons ate the time in between them getting extracted. Right. So the right, whole process of, of them getting e- extracted, we skipped. Right. Uh, and I think that is, from the showrunner's perspective, like a little bit of uh, winky fun of like, we don't have to bother showing all this stuff. We don't have to bother explaining how extraction works. It's time jumpy. Time will jump that part. Yep. I think it's True. really great, actually. <laughs> then he gets there and he's like, oh! it's like, I guess it worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So, Sid and Sid talk about their future and about who teaches you to be normal. Older Sid talks about their power, feeling dirty after switching bodies. Younger Sid tells the story of the shower again, upset about the way that she experienced sex. Sid tells her that she will fall in love and explains about David. They embrace, and it's unclear if they trade places. Sid falls backwards, and a time demon appears over her. Meanwhile, Lenny searches for Salmon, and finds her in labor in the clock room. Time skips forward as their baby grows from baby to child, and onwards until she's on her deathbed, and finally a pile of ash on the floor. Lenny screams in rage and pain. In the Time Between Time place, Carrie, Farouk, and Clark attempt to fight the demons. Farouk seems to conquer them, but then they come back. David continues his walk towards the demons, insisting that they're not real. Finally, he says he is a god and multiplies himself, incinerating one of the demons. He tells the other he'll kill every one of them, and all the demons disappear. Lenny lies in the middle of the street on the hopscotch when David returns. He tries to help her, but she refuses to take it. David returns to the commune and demands to know where Switch is, and finds out that Carrie took her. He says, War. So. We've talked a bit already about Sid and Sid. So I think regardless whether Sid is real or not, this conversation is absolutely
0: real. Yeah. I I like that perspective on things, that... It's real in the sense that they've, they're have they building it out of real time. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that old Sid now has a memory of being young Sid because the time stream has been changed. Exactly. Who teaches you to be normal when you're one of a kind? Sid first asked this in season one, episode five. Mm-hmm. What's on the other side? And she actually asked... First time she asked this, she asked David... Immediately after telling him the story of this first sexual experience. Mm hmm. And it's a, so it's another, uh, callback to previous episodes saying the same line that has come before, playing with time again, but also this is really tied to this moment for Sid.
1: Mm hmm. I, this is the third time we're, uh, getting this experience of her switching bodies with her mother and having sex in a shower. Uh, The first time it was told the story, the second time we saw it, and the third time is this, talking about it again. Um, I'm kind of sick of it, Mm -hmm. to be honest. I feel like the writers are really in love with this story of SIDS, and I feel like she's had a long life. How is this the only story she ever talks about or tells? Yeah, I agree. It just... I don't quite get what they're doing with it and I don't really like it.
0: I think I get what they're doing with it and I think if you were going to have it uh this might have been the time for it actually.
1: Mhm.
0: I would I would go back and erase the last two times so you could use it this time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I like the idea of turning her around And what that means metaphorically.
1: Yeah, and then Sid calls back to it with David turned me around.
0: And that when Sid says he turned me around, she doesn't mean physically. Mm -hmm. But I like what that means metaphorically and symbolically for Sid personally and for like... And the idea of young Sid fixating on that and that like, I thought sex was about love. That's not very romantic. Like her conception still... Is one of disillusionment more mm-hmm. than anything else? I think that it actually, in this circum, in the, if it if it hadn't happened a bunch, if it hadn't happened twice already, <laughs> I think this would be the time to use it. But I agree with you, like enough with this story, yeah, way more than enough with this story. I do like, though, all- or maybe I like is the wrong way to put it. I think it's very interesting how when Sid explains her experience with david to herself she frames it much more gently and sympathetically Mm -hmm. than she has up till now
1: yeah absolutely
0: i feel like it changes how she sees it like this isn't just her i mean i don't know i don't know what do you think
1: yeah i agree i think this is as she's You know, that her past self wants to know if she's, like, fallen in love and gotten married. And she's like, you fall in love, but it's complicated. And... But she still feels that love. That love is still there for David. She's just... He... She calls him, like, out of control and whatnot. And... But I think in, like... Just like in any relationship, when it ends, you don't suddenly fall out of
0: love with them. Or what... Farouk said all that love something has to happen to it it turns into hate and like that's kind of been what we've seen till now Mm -hmm. and now she's kind of remembering why she loved David in the first place or even that she loved David in the first place and she ends like young Sid does more with disappointment and disillusionment whereas up till now it has been anger yeah you know
1: yeah exactly so let's talk about Lenny. Oh. This whole part is just heartbreaking.
0: Can I foreground... Can I uh, preface our conversation by just saying Aubrey Plaza acts the hell out of this sequence?
1: Yes. She deserves all the awards and is nominated for none.
0: Okay, what were you going to say?
1: Oh, just like... Salmon disappears.
0: Yeah. First of all,
1: she has the baby. She's in a chair, and then suddenly she's gone. And so it's like, Salmon. This was Salmon's baby as well, but this is really this is this is Lenny's baby. Yeah. She looks like Lenny even. Yep. And the clock on the wall, in case you didn't notice, changes time. The time gets later and later as she goes, and ends right at midnight mm-hmm. with Lenny on the floor screaming. Uh. And it goes from her holding like an infant to an older baby who's crying to a kid sitting in a chair coloring to a teenager who's like disillusioned with the world straight to uh, her child as a mother herself, handing her grandchild to her to the grandchild is slamming the door and her daughter is on the. Uh, bed talking to her to her daughter is in the bed dying to her daughter is a pile of ash on the floor it's just it goes so quickly between those different stages but they're all just like glimpses into a life and yeah. all and you get a you get a solid sense of her daughter's personality yeah, and her daughter's life and it's just what is even happening it's, uh, and it's it affects Lenny very strongly.
0: And this is like, I think, like, well, I don't know. Is this real? Yes. Maybe.
1: This is all like time folding in on itself. And it can't really be real in terms of like, they never leave that room. Yeah. So it's like a lifetime of memories.
0: Yeah. And... Lenny doesn't age, so time goes forward. But, And we've seen it previously, like we saw early in the episode when time was skipping, Carrie found herself somewhere and then after a moment to catch up, she remembers the things that happened in between. Mm -hmm. So I feel like Lenny doesn't just remember the glimpses we saw. She's, She's disoriented every time. But her memory is catching up, so that by the time she's on the floor crying, she remembers everything in between the parts that we saw. I think you may be right. And that's why it's, like, she is grieving as fully as if she has lived this entire life.
1: Yeah. It's messed up.
0: And it's like... Is it saying something about time? And life? Hmm. You know? That, uh... It's as,
1: the, as someone who has children, it does feel like it was literally yesterday
0: that they were tiny infants. It seems like almost a banal statement to be like, your kids grow up in the blink of an eye. But like, they really do?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And life does go by so quickly. And that's one of the things of, you know, time is real, but it also kind of isn't. Mm-hmm. Because it's not... We don't experience time linearly, and we don't experience time equally. And... This, like... Little glimpses we have of Lenny's daughter doesn't mean that she's not... That her emotional weight isn't as full for Lenny and even for us.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. I feel like it's not... It's. A surreal and bizarre moment, uh, sequence. But we really see the emotional impact it has on Lenny in such a profound way. mm mm-hmm. I'm left th- wondering whether this is another trick like, Gabri- like Gabrielle and past Sid, and I think it's something different.
1: I feel like it is something different.
0: And you're right, they can't literally have lived their entire lives in the in this room. There's like There's a moment where Sid's daughter is storming out of the room and she says, It's bullshit, slam. What is? That this is all we get. Yeah. And she presumably means the room. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh Or that this life is all we get. But yeah.
0: But like this is all we get this does that mean a room does that mean the glimpses or does that mean a whole entire life it is bullshit that that's all we get Mm -hmm. and that's maybe what i mean when i say like is this actually a statement on time and life is like it's it is just in one little room in little glimpses.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? Is this all we get?
0: Carrie and Farouk and Clark fight with the time demons, and they are in a mailbox, and they are small. We yeah. mentioned
1: this. Yeah, I. they're in amongst mail and stamps, and definitely it's a mailbox.
0: Like you said in your first time you mentioned it that, like, it's a house shaped like a mailbox, but... It really seems like it's actually a mailbox. Turns out it's actually a mailbox. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Except it has things for mailing, so it's like a mailbox-shaped post office that is also giant. (laughs) Right. That (laughs) whole thing. Or they're tiny. Everything is like a dream.
0: I love when Farouk pulls a sword out of his mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. I love this whole sequence. I don't have to make sense of it. I don't know if I want to uh, talk about it too much because I just want to watch it again. Yeah. Like, they have a fight. Time isn't real. They're in... I I like the aspect ratio. It's like a series of Polaroids.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Like you said, it's photographs. And that's not just the fact that it's frozen... uh, It's not just freeze frames. No. We see, like, the outside of the photograph.
1: And it's, uh, like, sepia kind of toned as well.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of also, like... All our experiences with these time demons, they they have moments of time, but they don't have the in-between things. This is, reminds me of Zeno's Paradox. Should I explain the idea of Zeno's Paradox for our listeners? Is that with the frog hopping to the water and never reaches it? Sort of. Okay. Yes. Um, Zeno is a Greek philosopher, and the specifically um, what I was thinking of is an arrow. An archer shoots an arrow. And... Uh, Zeno says Zeno has a couple of paradoxes but one of them is an archer shoots an arrow uh, in any moment if you for the arrow to travel it has to travel in every single moment in between now and the time that it gets there but in every single moment it's just in one place unless it's in two places at the same time how can it ever be anywhere other than where it was like it has to Disappear and reappear, or be in two places at the same time. Otherwise, if I stopped time, it's only in one place. Zeno has a couple of paradoxes. Another of them is the uh, tortoise racing Achilles. Mm -hmm. And to catch up with Achilles, the tortoise has to make it halfway. Oh, sorry. The tortoise has a head start. And to catch up with the tortoise, Achilles has to run halfway to the tortoise. But by then, the tortoise has gone a little further. And to catch up with where he is, the Achilles has to run halfway, but by then the tortoise has gone a little, little further, and to catch up, he has to go a little further, and event you know, Achilles never catches the tortoise, because no yeah. matter how close he gets, he always has to cover half the distance before he can cover the full distance. Yep. But I was thinking of the paradox with the arrow, that, like, to... For the arrow to move, it has to be in two places at once, or nowhere, because in every second, it's only where it is. Right. And this is what we see with the time demons. They don't move. (laughs) No. Right? They are somewhere, and then they're somewhere else. And the in-between time doesn't happen. Yeah. And this is the time in-between times, too. It's not just silent filmy. It's this, like, there isn't no in-between. We have the effects of the in-between, but we don't experience it. Uh. That's cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh. David launch- is launched uh, the gi- most giftable moment on <laughs> <laughs> on all of legion when he has when he multiplies himself poses like uh, like a Hindu god and then gives the finger <laughs> with all his fingers. Yes.
0: D- the god uh that he looks like the god you're thinking of with the many arms is Durga.
1: Okay. Yes. Uh
0: So Durga is an incarnation of Shakti in the Hindu pantheon. Uh, She is... uh, She's a warrior goddess. Just so we know.
1: I like that it's a Hindu goddess. I like that David decides... At first he chooses Alpha and Omega, which is very like Christian mythology. And then he... Uh, goes into a pose of a Hindu goddess. And so it's like equal opportunity (laughs) gods. (laughs) A little bit. I mean, that's only two, but... uh... It's appropriation
0: of all kinds of religions that he's the god of all of them.
1: Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's just like he tries and tries to continue to walk towards these things, and then he kind of recognizes that, oh, I am, like, super powerful. And I should mention, too, the whole Alpha and Omega thing... Omega-level mutant is what David is called. That's true. I didn't think of that, but yeah. In X-Men, there's omega-level mutants, and David is one.
0: And that's, like, levels of power. Yeah. The most powerful kind of mutant.
1: The most powerful kind of mutant.
0: His fight with the blue meanies in this, like, black background non-space is so much like the red background fight with the bug in The Bad Idea, the delusion monster in season two. Which, by the way, is in Chapter 15, which we called Bad Eggs. It's like the same... That's part of why I think the Blue Meanies are gone. Because that bug never reappeared. That is also true. This is a pattern... Two episodes. I mean, two seasons. It wasn't... There wasn't a similar thing in the first season. But, like, where he comes into a different space. And really reveals some power that we haven't quite appreciated before. Or he hasn't quite appreciated yeah. before.
1: Yeah, there's... Yeah, I mean, there's the red space, there's the white space, there's the black space. There's just, like, a lot of in-between spaces.
0: Mm-hmm. And he says, when he's attacking them, he says, Nothing that hurts me is real. No one who hates me is real. Like, yeah, spoken like an insane narcissistic egoist. Yep,
1: he sure
0: is. <laughs> it's... The other side, it's the flip side of uh, your family matters to me because it's my history. This isn't about the world. It's about me. Nothing that tries to hurt me is real. Mm-hmm. His, like, if we think again, if we think of this whole show as being about mental illness, in the first season... David believes himself to be schizophrenic, is institutionalized, believes himself to be dangerous, believes himself to be delusional, believes himself to be powerless. mm mm-hmm. uh, And he's medicated and passively accepts the diagnosis and the medication and the control of the institution. Right? Yeah. And the second season, he sees himself, I mean, he, if he, throughout the first season and into the second season, he grows into some power, grows into a new perspective on his mental illness, kind of starts to come to terms with what it actually might mean for integrating into the world, interacting with the world, that... What Sid says in the pilot of the show, that, like, you see things differently, that doesn't mean you're wrong. He kind of internalizes that through the first and second seasons. Yeah. And then, by the... And then he's... And in the second season, he starts to internalize this sense that my perspective on the world is also right, just because it's not standard. But he also externalizes uh, his mental illness into trauma Mm -hmm. that's caused by something else. And the show does. And then in the third season, he places himself in the position not of the patient in the first season and not of the friend in the second season and ally, but into the, like, uh, my perspective's the only perspective. Mm -hmm. He's moved into solipsism. He's moved into egoism. He's not schizophrenic anymore where he hears too many perspectives and isn't sure which one's right and is so insecure about his relationship to reality. He's a narcissist now where he, he, only his perspective on the world is what matters. Mm -hmm. And he rejects any kind of treatment, any kind of uh, therapy or medication or help or support system. He alienates himself from the people who are able to treat, help, diagnose, support him. Yeah. And makes himself the support makes himself an unstable support system for others. Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Absolutely. When he returns to the commune, Lenny is lying on the hopscotch. Mm-hmm. Which is the numbers she's lying on are three oh four and three oh five.
0: Hmm. Which This episode is season three, episode four.
1: Exactly. So I feel like that's maybe significant there. I don't know a hundred percent.
0: Significant if we say (laughs) it is.
1: Exactly. He tries to help her and she just says no. says, I need to feel this. I think is what she says. Yeah. And I think that is another insight into like all through this episode Lenny is not a part of the group of his followers who are so like, who are calling him daddy and collapsing and feeling pleasure. She resists it every time, and in this point, she
0: resists it completely. And it's an interesting growth for Lenny, who has been a drug addict, has been uh, like the the cliche of drug use. I think it is more complicated in reality, but the cliche of drug use is you drug addicts and drug users are uh, numbing their feelings and uh, it's an alternative to feeling reality. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lenny from the mental hospital in season one would not turn down, let me make you feel better.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Lenny from season two would not turn down let me make you feel better. Yeah. Let me take away your pain and give you a high like yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: So we see that she's changed. Mhm. And we've kind of started to see that even last episode. Mhm. But I think that her experience with her daughter is like uh uh f- finished that development of her character. Yeah she doesn't want to be numb and alienated from the world she doesn't want to be comfortably numb anymore
1: yeah exactly anything else to say on this episode
0: just that there's something that switch says when Carrie, when like when they find that the world is that the airship isn't right That i didn't talk about at this point because i think I didn't talk about at the point that we were talking about that moment because I think it applies to the entire episode. She says, time is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Carrie says, come with me, you'll come to a place where you can escape, where you don't have to hide. And then when the airship is also affected, switch has this realization time is everywhere. And it feels like one of the Thematic statements not only of the episode but of the season. Yeah. That, like, the way that time affects people, we're in it so we don't notice it. (laughs) And one of the purposes, it seems like, of this episode and of this season is to show these, like, trippy, bizarre things that kind of force you into looking at time paying attention to time in a way that you uh in our normal day-to-day life we are not inclined to. Yes. It's not so much a thematic statement as like a mission statement for this show, yeah. I think. Like, time is everywhere. Pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And don't take it for granted.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the music. When David... Is meeting with his, like, uh, commune and and Switches telling him all about the time demons. The music that's playing is Akaraga by Shocking Blue. It is an instrumental. So it doesn't have any lyrics. I looked up for a long time uh, what the meaning of Akaraga is. A-C-K-A-R-A-G-A. I didn't come up with anything. I have no idea what those words mean. Hmm. Raga is basically Hindi for rage or anger. Uh, but Akka isn't Hindi for anything. And maybe it's a totally different language? I don't know. Shocking Blue, though, the band that plays that, we I mean, I don't think I need to say anything about it, but like, Blue has has gained this big significance on this show. Right. When David, when Lenny confronts David and is like, what's the plan? And then David stands up and is like, uh, the song that plays is Let Me Try by Kaleidoscope. We don't hear very much of it, but uh, the lyrics to this song are you. I'm going to make it. It's got to break it. I think it's time to educate. You think I'm foolish, but I can do it. If you would let me, let me try. And then there's more. So he's gonna... Like, this is when... Okay, fine. I'll fix everything. I'm gonna try. Mm Mm-hmm. But there's an extra meaning, I think, to this song because it is the song that uh, Beyonce samples at the beginning of her song Freedom.
1: Yes, and that's where I recognized it from. I was like, this is Freedom! And then I was like, oh no, it's the other one.
0: We don't hear very much of the song. I don't know if we even hear any of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. We just hear the. Duh, 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 and then it kind of fades out. Mm-hmm. And so it's evoking freedom,
1: mm-hmm. I
0: think, as much as it's evoking. Let me try. Yeah. Uh, and that also is thematically and, uh, in significant, is thematically appropriate for this episode. Mm-hmm. That it, you know, freedom, uh... me loose. R- let me, set me loose. Exactly. I break chains all by myself. I'm gonna keep running because a winner don't quit on herself. Uh... It's about Lenny is wants freedom, mm-hmm. and we see that through the episode, and it's also about David uh, asserting his freedom. Mm-hmm. Later on, when Lenny is mourning for her daughter near the end, and Carrie and Farouk and Clark are fighting the blue meanies, the song that plays is Squares by the Beta Band. And the lyrics to this one go, I seen the demons, but they didn't make a sound. They tried to reach me, but I lay them on the ground. I seen the people, but they didn't make a sound. They tried to reach me, but I gave the run around. I reached for feelings, but they didn't make a sound. They tried to reach me, but I lay upon the ground. I saw miles and miles of squares. Where's the feeling there? Still nobody cares for miles and miles of squares. Daydream. I fell asleep beneath the flowers. Hmm. So the idea of I seen demons, but they didn't make a sound while they were fighting the demons seems pretty on the nose. A little bit on the nose. Lying on the ground, too. And, uh, exactly. Lenny is lying on the ground. They tried to reach me. David keeps trying to reach the demons. Uh, and then I reached for feelings because when David returns and... Like, what Lenny is doing when she's lying on the ground is reaching for her feelings. Mm -hmm. Again, like I said, on the nose, but, like, as has been the case since the beginning of the first episode of Legion, it's like, are we sure that uh, the beta band didn't write this song about this episode? (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) And finally, over the end credits, we have Can't Get There From Here, which is by R.E.M., but this version is covered by Noah Hawley and Jeff Russo. And that goes I'm um, not um when the world is a monster bad to swallow you whole kick the clay that holds the teeth in throw your trolls out the door can't get there from here i've been there i know the way can't get there from here and there's more lyrics but that's the only lyrics that Noah Holly and Jeffrey so sing and once again like kick the clay that holds the teeth in Switch is losing teeth because she's traveling past and that... I mean, like... Yeah. When she travels to the past, she loses teeth and the world is a monster. So kick the clay that holds the teeth in and throw your trolls out the door. Again, this could be describing this episode. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't know what more to say about that than it seems like it was written for this Mm -hmm. season of Legion. But it wasn't.
1: I don't think I have anything specific, significant to say about clothing because we already talked about all the color things, which is what I was going to say.
0: The one thing about clothing I noticed that I wondered if you would uh, make anything of is David wears these striped pants. And when he travels to the concentration camp, Gabrielle is wearing the striped uh, uniform.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So his pants are the same as hers. That's interesting.
1: So I think there is always, as always, lots of things that we missed in this episode and lots of things to talk about in this episode. So if you want to continue the conversation, you can uh, add us on Twitter (laughs) at ClockWorksCast. You can contact us by email, clockworkscast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Reddit and other things. They're linked in our show notes, as always. And if you like what we do and want to support us, please tell your friends, like uh, this, I like it? No, star it. Give some ratings, review it. That's what Five I'm talking about. Five star it. Uh, I met someone today who watches Legion, and it was like the first time in real life I actually talked to someone besides Paul. <laughs>
0: It was pretty cool. So I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Hello, welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. No, I don't think we should do that bit. So, um... What I want to do at the beginning of this episode, instead of my usual time pun, is a time jump time loop. (laughs) So what are you going to do? I'm going to say, hi, I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. If you want to get (laughs) in, goodbye. And you can you can react like, wait, what? I'm Paul Moffat. What are you talking about? Welcome to Clockworks, a legion. What, Paul? (laughs) You know, love it.
1: Let's do it. I just wanted to give you a heads up. Yeah, please give me a heads up.